Hey there, listeners, and welcome to Go Crows, the internet's only Smallville podcast. I don't know if I should say that now that this is not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> this is Dorothy. And I'm Vry. I used to watch Smallville. Vry is coming to this new. Y'all responded really positively to that last episode we did, so we thought, yes, we will do this occasionally as a real thing. We figured the best way to do this would be, uh, it would be excruciating to do one episode at a time. You would all be bored, and so would we. So our plan for now is to divvy it up three episodes at a time. Unless it's like a really dramatic episode or like a two-episode arc or something. Yeah. Subject to change as necessary based on the deep needs of this medium. That means since we covered the pilot last time, this time we watched episodes two through four, which are metamorphosis hothead and x-ray if you're playing along at home because yes apparently it counts the pilot as one rather than as pilot mm-hmm. even though it's called pilot well they broadcast it so i guess i think mean, they broadcast a version of it oh oh after they recast his mom and stuff that's true huh. it just the numbering scheme just bugs me bugs you you say it does we're gonna okay, t- that's not the worst bug related thing to have aired on, on the cw Bugs is the worst. I don't know what you mean. Bugs is the worst. I'm free of of sin. No, you're not. No. You just haven't watched Supernatural. That's different. You watched Sherlock, though, so. I did. I made that mistake for, like... We're equally damned. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're both. We're going to try something a little bit different from our other podcasts, Drunk Book Club and Trash and Treasures. We got segments this time. We're going to start out... Arthropod. You're making a a commitment that I don't think you're going to be able to keep going. I don't think you're going to be able to commit to this bit. Like everything else in this show. Yeah, you know what? Fair fair enough. You're actually extremely thematically on point. We will drop this next week and never speak of it again. Just like Smallville. Before we get into the thick of things, we'll give you, say, a 30-second bite-sized bit on what each of the three episodes was about, just in case you watched the show forever ago or, you know, want to keep it in your head as we piece each one of them out. All right, so the first episode was uh, Metamorphosis, which is about... This dude turns into a bug and tries to kidnap Lana to make make her his insect queen, if you will. Lana is a damsel. Yep. That's that's the nugget about this one. And the next episode is Hothead, which is about uh, the local football coach is a dick. For some reason, now we're ex- examining the uh, perils of sports culture for like 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Don't worry. We'll go back to idolizing the football. Not necessarily the players, but just the football. Yes. the Later. The platonic ideal of football. Clark wants to join the team, but in fact, the coach is a bad one. And uh, the coach is a literal fire-breathing dickhead. Yep. And the last episode was X-Ray, a.k.a. the evil lesbian episode. There's an evil lesbian. Lana is, once again, a damsel. Could be lesbian, could be trans. Either way, bad. Either way, the metaphor is bad. Yeah, she she's a shapeshifter. Um, this is a recurring character. Oh boy, look forward to that. All right, so that's our three that we have this time around. I mean, I would hate to mistake Lizzie Kaplan's character for a lesbian. Yes, that would be terrible. Yeah, this is this is not quite its own segment that I planned, but uh, there's a lot of actors on Smallville who went on to have weirdly robust careers, people who were not the leads. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Guest stars on Smallville went on to have rather robust careers. Well, even if they didn't have a robust career, I think most of them were working in that sort of Vancouver backlot right around this time so you've probably seen a lot of these people on stargate on supernatural mm-hmm. uh, any kind of cw properties in operation at the time like th- they got around yeah lizzie kaplan is definitely the most well known as you alluded to uh, she was in mean girls and now she is on uh, she's on uh, masters of sex with michael sheen which oh. i assume has gotten a bump in uh, viewership for, for reasons <laughs> unknown and the two uh, guys are both big into yeah the like bug- the bug guy was the one of the leads in the original Final Destination. Disturbing behavior. So, he, I mean, respectable good fun from the era. Yeah. And now he does a billion cop shows, which is fine. No, nope. that's the uh, coach guy. Chad Donella. Yeah. 
Oh, and he was in Shattered Glass, which I watched in a journalism class. Interesting story about, uh, yeah, about fabrication at the New Republic. And then uh, Dan Loria, I promise you have seen in something. He is a that he's a professional that guy. You know, he was the dad on the Wonder Years. Honestly, I wonder if that made his casting as this total monster. I'm sure somebody was doing it for the irony points. Yeah. Which, honestly, I respect, like, to spoil things a little bit, that was definitely my favorite episode of the bunch. Yeah, you have seen him in something, I promise. Well, the gay was done so badly, you don't even like that one. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Let us look into our first segment, The Monsters of the Week, where we will look at each of these guest star assholes and what the show is doing with them. All right, so first we have Bug Guy. This is a very frustrating character because it's hard to tell what they actually intended to be doing with him. Like, he's a weird creep who is obsessed with Lana and violates her boundaries, and that's bad. But I'm not sure where it's going beyond that. I Um, I have him in my notes as Peter Stalker. I was very pleased with myself (laughs) at 11 p.m. (laughs) Backs were padded. He's not a Spider-Man, though. I mean, he basically is. Yeah, see? No, I mean... This is one of those cases where the show is just attempting limply to dunk on other properties that exist by having a guy be exposed to radioactive bugs. And also he's a photographer. Well, and it's actually weird because like this was right before I think we mathed out the uh, Tobey Maguire movie, but it has basically the bedroom web scene from that movie. Like it is some weird synchronicity. I don't think either one was responsive to the other. Yeah. It's metamorphosis scene. The episode is called Metamorphosis. Do you see? Honestly reminds me more of the shapeshifter scene from Supernatural, which was one of the more genuinely disturbing, gory things that ever happened on Supernatural. So it was from the first two seasons? Yes. I'm confused with the Bugs episode. I hear people love that one. Maybe not. You've heard incorrectly. <laughs> it's the one where that's the one where they're trying to do Stephen King because there's a development, you see, that has been built. Oh dear. Yeah. This has a lot of common with in common with Supernatural in a lot of ways in that it's sort of an engine to run formula plots through. Yeah, basically. And just have the characters interact with th- these formula plots. It worked a little better on Supernatural because they had the characters moving into these spaces of the movies they're stepping into mm-hmm. because of the mobility of the Impala. Whereas in this, we're just being asked to believe that a town so small, it's called Smallville, has all this shit going on. And nobody notices. And it doesn't even like have, like, Hellmouth self-disguise powers or anything. It's just happening. I look forward to the season finale where everybody gets together and is like, you know, there have been a lot of murders. And named Clark Class Protector. Oh. <laughs> I never watched These seasons of Buffy are fine. More of it has held up than hasn't. Really? Because I've been informed it doesn't get good until Spike shows up. Those people lied. He shows up in season two, anyway. (laughs) It's weird because this isn't, like, his episode is stalking bad, but also it's fine that Clark is a creep because he's feeling protective-like. He's the good kind of possessive of Lana. It's good that he's protecting her, and it's good that he was, you know, violating her privacy by snooping on her shit because it enables him to rescue her and isn't it sad that she just doesn't see him he's just such i don't know i feel like there's a word for it uh, a kind man he's a really kind man is clark kent superman that's where you were going with that right uh-huh yes that's exactly where that's exactly where i was going <laughs> And he's not even really very fun as a character. Like, the the actor is... He's doing his best. Yeah. You know, for a guy in his mid-twenties being asked to play a 15-year-old. Oh, I was talking about Cabela, but... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or Danella? Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's going to be, like, the fifth time I've I've misspoken this poor man's name. His name's Chad. Can we talk about the fact that the virgin is the Chad? Smallville was truly on its game ahead of time. No, but everybody's a virgin. Nobody fucks in Smallville? The question of who fucks is extremely important in Smallville, actually. So this is Hocus Pocus. It's extremely vital to everything that happens, is the question of who fucks. 
All right, I'll keep an eye she open. Does for that not one. blow out her back like a shotgun. Thank you. I mean, I figured you had questions like Banky. Excuse you. That was JT. <laughs> it was definitely in Mallrats where they had the horrible womb conversation. Uh huh. Def- yeah, it was. It was his. It was Banky's cousin. Right. I understand how you got here. Yeah. <laughs> They're all related to one another. Mm-hmm. A very incestuous universe. Put that a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I there wasn't a lot of there there in this yeah. episode. I mean, this was a monster of the week episode where we are deliberately and consciously configuring people who act weird as being more prone to evil acts, but also the acts he's engaging in are evil. <laughs> like he is kidnapping and trying to rape a girl so that she will bear his seed. It wants to critique the whole, you know. it's like it wants to critique the whole nerds are actually nice guys but also at the same time it's doing that ironically unironically right because you know the only nerd who is actually a nice guy is clark Clark. Mm -hmm. so it shoots itself in the foot before it even begins so that's unfortunate there's some good moments i think the effects are good in this episode yeah they're not bad for the time generally unmemorable and it's a damsel episode so Mm -hmm. episode three i kind of I wish I could give it more credit as and like convince myself for a second that the show was going to go anywhere with this and believe that it was about, you know, building themes over the course of a season. I want to live in that lie. Yeah. But I've heard you talk about Smallville before. There's a lot of things we want to tell ourselves about Smallville. <laughs> That's the, kind of the frustrating thing about it is like there's enough meat and potential there in the early seasons that it's very easy to think to yourself, well, if I hang on, it'll mature into something. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it is a teen show. It's yeah. not obligated to be perfect or make any sense, honestly. It just has to get those emotions right. I hear Riverdale is very good at making no damn sense. People I hear there's like a cult. Yep. And also a biker gang. And also a lot of teen secret society orgies because yeah. someone watched Twin Peaks. Yep. Like, I hear it's Twin Peaks for now teens. Uh Uh-huh. As opposed to then teens. Everybody looks inside themselves and thinks, I would have been that Twin Peaks kid. I could totally handle fucking a federal agent. Audrey, no. Audrey, no. Audrey, no. Like, I genuinely kind of liked this episode. It was sort of doofy and campy, but I thought the themes about, like, you know, feeling burdened by the previous generation and all of that stuff were pretty well developed across Clark and Lana and uh, Lex. And it, it is. Yeah, I think that's it. That threatened to be a theme. And I also think just the sort of interrogation of the privileges granted to the sports programs in a financially struggling community mm-hmm. is obviously still relevant today because uh-huh. because this is a revenue driver, but also completely canceling out fair academics. Yeah, like it's almost smart when it has when it gets into this, you know, the the intimidation stuff about you know the certain the social access element. The coach is abusive to his players. He's the one pushing them to mm-hmm. break rules and endanger their own futures because he's obsessed with his own legacy as a coach. It should have been called Legacy instead of Hothead, but I'm sure they saved that one world word title for one later on. I, yeah, I'm sure that that came up and they were like, well, but that's a special title we can only burn once, so let's do a dumb pun instead. Yeah, um, the coach has a special sauna that he was given after working at the school for so many years. That's yeah. just a private sauna for him to get his balls out. With, with kryptonite rocks in there. Kryptonite rocks. He just dumps a ladle of water over the kryptonite rocks and they glow. As always happens, like they always glow and let off kryptonite steam and nobody notices. So I can accept that that is an effect added for us, the audience. Still hilarious. I mean, this is also the episode where by the end, he's just out and out trying to murder a student and nobody notices but Clark. Oh, right. Chloe. Oh, Chloe. So I understand that Ms. Mack is under house arrest and has allegedly, according to her people, deprogramming has helped. That's good for her. Uh, um, shame yes. about all of the peop all of the people that she, you know, tricked into and slavery. Yeah, yeah. So 
uh, not a lot of. This ongoing hot potato has been acknowledged. It uh, has made things very interesting for me in that I now sit at the opposite end of the, the, the original spectrum. Lana's fine. She's fine so far in these episodes. Because you're not looking at her and seeing through her, the actor who has... Oh, oh, and like, even if she is, she has been, you know, a brainwashed cult member, mm-hmm. she's still engaged in atrocities. So, like, so, the damage she has done to other people out- outweighs the damage that was done to her cumulatively. Yeah. Yeah. So, both of those things are hard to struggle with. So I just, I can't, when I see Chloe, all I can see is the real world stuff right now, which is kind of a shame because I like that kind of truthiness dib type character. Chloe was always a difficult character, honestly, because Mm -hmm. her character was always based around this sort of bullish feeling that she's entitled to information Mm -hmm. and refusal of the concept of privacy, but wrapped in a sort of plucky reporter character. She feels very post-9-11 to me. Which is weird, because this is still pre-9-11, isn't it? Oh, oh no, it was just after, wasn't it? Yeah, so you're right. It was, But this was definitely filmed before 9-11. Mm-hmm. But the way her character develops feels very sort of post-9-11. She's all about negotiating the concepts of security and privacy and public good. Boy, that, that's some fertile ground there that I'm sure we'll get to. In that way, she functions kind of as a foil for Lex. Who, boy, we'll get to Lex. Yeah. Lex gets his own segment. Don't you worry about it, listeners. But just for the moment, I I really had a good time watching this episode. I was surprised by how much I was just like, this is a fun teen drama. This takes me back to when I binge-watched stuff on the CW as a teenager in like the good ways. This was good, and I felt like the villain was hammy in like a fun way and it served the episode's themes and it almost had a real thing to say that was pertinent yeah i felt like all of the actors were doing their best with the material and having fun with it which is important mm-hmm. um the versions of this that i have on dvd don't have blooper reels which is disappointing to me because with productions that look fun i like to see blooper reels but there are compilations of bloopers you can find on youtube and stuff and this gives the vibe of something that would have good blooper reels because people are having fun on set (laughs) also there are pyrotechnics Uh uh-huh there are pyrotechnics the coach literally spits fire at the players who are obviously afraid of him for good reason at that point Mm -hmm. but i as much as the jocks are dickheads who engage in you know literal hate crimes in the first episode this series apparently has no continuous memory of that other than that whitney exists and and yet it has it seems to be trying to sell me on whitney and it has not yeah because whitney's a monster but as much as i find it annoying to be asked to have empathy for the most privileged people in a high school community i think it does a good job of like talking about the stresses that these kids are under Mm -hmm. and the fact that a lot of them are like legacy athletes whose parents were also coached by this man. So they don't feel at liberty to talk about the way he's treating them. Because then they're they're a failure in so many different ways and a disappointment in a very personal way. Like yeah. This guy's so influential in the community that the fact that he wants Clark to be an athlete, because he notices that, that that's part of the plot is that he notices that Clark is an athletic badass and can catch things. Mm-hmm. So now he has the ability to override Pa Kent's verboten on, on Clark joining the team. Because he coached Pa Kent back in what was definitely the best years of his life. <laughs> sure did. Definitely. <laughs> we definitely got some high school glory going here. Oh yeah, it's coming off the man in waves. But, so I think it's an interesting um, look at sort of this codification of power, mm-hmm. even in the most like objectively absurd positions yeah it's the smallest amount of power you've ever seen turns somebody into a power tripping dickhead if you just showed somebody this episode you'd be like oh i see why smallville was popular even though this is all patently absurd and then you you plummet right into the next episode about the psycho lesbian (laughs) yep i did not care for this because she's not I, I have enjoyed uh, the like Mean Girls. She sure did. As much as I hate the trope that's going on with her character in Mean Girls, I think she has been an enjoyable actor in, in things I've seen her in and other things. But she's just not really selling this character. This character who has definitely been hanging around obsessed with Lana 
earlier. Definitely she was always here. Oh, she's always been here. They've, they've been childhood friends. She has a real problem with that because it can't afford either time or money to have a fleshed out background cast. It's not Degrassi, I'll put it that way. This is not an ensemble where you're like, and now we're going to put this character in the spotlight that you've always seen around. So yeah, it's just got a very bad habit of plunking characters confidently into a scene and assuring us that we've been friends for years. I can see on the script level why they thought this will be great, because the fact that she accidentally murders her mom, (laughs) she just has to roll with it. Her mom's corpse in a trunk, like, that's a problem for later. Close of it. Like, this is the episode where Clark discovers his x-ray vision because she's got a weird bone disease. And that's what makes her a shapeshifter after she gets exposed to meteor radiation. Sorry, meteor infected. That's a weird distinction that the show continues to try to make. Yeah, they like to call these people infected by meteors, which is not how... I feel like somebody thought they were coming up with a really clever metaphor, and they were not. They were extremely not. I, I do want to say uh, Beverly Brewer, who plays Tina's mom, that's the really good. She's on screen a lot of the time because this character has to pretend to be her dead mom a lot. We haven't talked about how the episode starts. Okay, yes. Lex Luthor walks into the bank, tries to empty his accounts, and then holds the place up with a gun. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds like Lex Luthor. And everybody's like, that's clearly not Lex. And just kind of leaves him at liberty. Very amusing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, why would he need to hold up a bank full of his money? I guess it was just someone with a photorealistic mask of him. Uh-huh. Yes. We all saw Mission Impossible. Somebody came all the way out to Kansas to pull that. Like, okay. <laughs> Tina robs a bank to try and, you know, improve her and her mother's situation, although they don't seem to be financially struggling because this is one of those shows that keeps saying people are without money. And then filming in these very solidly middle-class-looking houses and neighborhoods. Yeah. And just having a lot of dialogue about how, gosh, the mortgage is tough this year. It's very convincing emotionally. Then she accidentally kills her mother while fighting over the fact that she robbed a bank. And then has to keep up the charade while looking for an out. While trying to get Lana to let her randomly move into Lana's house. The background going on thing here is that Lana has quit the cheerleading squad. And Tina does not understand how she would give up the privilege because we know so much about this rich and developed character and why she would have these feelings that are complex well presumably she's so needy and graspy because she had a condition as a child feels isolated and does not understand how to properly socialize i think it's bad at disability is what i'm saying what no but yeah most tina full-on you know does the thing where you start wearing your crush's clothes which isn't a good look, sweetie. And then she tries to make out with Clark while wearing Lana's face. Because if I can't be with you, I will become you. And we're just like sisters. 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 And it's just exhausting. Like, she cannot sell charisma on this poorly written character. <laughs> well, especially because the character's not supposed to have charisma. Plus, so much of the character isn't her performing is other actors trying to poorly perform their own characters in order to convey to the audience that this isn't really me. It's just a mess. And I usually love face swap or body swap episodes of things, but she's not developed enough for me to care. None of these characters are, I feel like. Like, the only scene that's kind of fun is the Lex one at the beginning, because (laughs) we know who Lex is. And she's so clearly having a blast being Lex, Mm -hmm. because who wouldn't? Right? Like, that's the only, if you get to be Lex Luthor without all the strings of being Lex Luthor, it's a good time. Yeah, so that's, like, the only point where the episode attains what I think it wanted to be. And then the rest of it is just this dire slog of, like, all Kristen Crook and and Beverly Brewer performing this character. And then periodic bad face morphs into Lizzie Kaplan. And I don't, I don't know what the theme it wanted to go for with that one was. I guess just an extension on the privileged people have problems, really. And those problems are the freaks. Oops. If only you knew that the pretty people had problems. And that the problems are people who aren't pretty. Daring to breathe the same air. But, but also, like, the pretty people have genuine emotional problems mm-hmm. in their lives. Okay. But it feels very, very sour. 
Yeah, that's one of those themes where it's like, well, yeah, it seems like it's saying that only the pretty people really have problems. You, you are all just jealous is like this unspoken subtext. The only problem that people who aren't pretty have is being unsatisfied with kissing the hem of the garment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it kind of comes across that way. Well, that covers our uh, three main bad guys for this episode. I think it is time to move into some of our cast members who actually do recur. And let us start with the heart of the show. Which is where we talk about Lana, who I have been assured that I will hate. Uh, update, I don't hate Lana yet. <laughs> she's fine. Like, she's fine. She has a real... It helps that her episode is the one that's the best written in this batch. Again, it would help, though, if the character were allowed to be goth at points other than when she's brainwashed by uh, by sexual vampires in a sorority. Oh. That's a real example. I'm sure it is. Or possessed by a witch. Of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, because Buffy did the Elseworlds episode. Oh, God. I realize that's an oxymoron, but they should have. It was like a chance for her to stretch her chops. But it comes across very cringy from from this show. From this show that I suspect had a very white writer's room? Yeah. I feel like she doesn't get a lot to do except be a damsel. Well, and negotiate her personal feels about finding out that her dead parents were human. Acting work here is not so much even reacting to being constantly kidnapped and sexually assaulted. Like, that seems to not face her at all compared to reading her mom's yearbook. Which, I, I feel like, yes, the, the whole yearbook thing is fine as an arc, but, like, there's there's a total disjunction there. Right. <laughs> like, both of these things. If it, it, a bug man kidnapped you. But but the most pressing thing is that you broke up with your football boyfriend. and Whose coach was setting things on fire. But then you saw that he was a sensitive, really. So the hate crime is, it's fine. So that's, uh... Yeah, Lana's arc here is, like, she's always been told that her mother, who was a cheerleader, is sort of this perfect paragon of high school perfection to look up to. Her mom apparently, like, got married right out of high school and had Lana and then died when Lana was three. So, meteors, etc., She's always been presented with sort of a sanitized view of her mom. And here she finds out that her mom kept a journal where she expressed, like, doubts. And gave, like, a kick-ass. It's not very kick-ass. It's, it's not shitty. It's allegedly kick-ass. So kick-ass, they couldn't broadcast it. Yeah, but when you get the actual text of it, it's not really that impressive because they couldn't just, stretch their brains that far, the writers. It's just sort of a shitty speech to give as valedictorian. Mm-hmm. Where, where you just shit on your entire high school experience. The Daria graduation also, speech, it's not. But it's also, like, weirdly prescient of, I'm definitely going to squirt out a kid who will have feelings about something and do stuff with her life. That's really not played through over time. And this is the, yet another thing where you're right, it would make so much more sense if Lana was cough. It's almost like the show wants to go that way because, you know, her arc, this stretch is also her quitting cheerleading and that actually sticks. But also, then her fashion sense changes not at all. She, she's still very aesthetically pastel and stuff. And I feel like you could even do something with that if you had her become goth and punk and made that a thing about the socioeconomic state of, you know, not being able to just frivolously buy a bunch of new clothes for your fashion, Lana. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, embrace the DIY aspects of those fashion styles and have her start wearing makeup and experimenting with makeup. But we can't do that because she has to look clean-faced and virginal for Clark. And if she wore too much makeup, people would question whether she fucks. Mm-hmm. God forbid. God forbid that she fucks. Again, she doesn't fuck. No, no. Clark is always watching her window, so he knows she doesn't At fuck. At some point, we find out that Chloe fucked between seasons. <sighs> and that, like, officially dirties her up so that she's not good enough for Clark. Gross. Which is weird, because then when they bring Lois in later, they're trying to be woke about the fact that she fucks. I'm sure that they do great with that. There's there's witches involved. Of course there are. She can't light the black flame candle, is what I'm saying. Well, if Lana is the best character on the show, then it is only fair that we proceed directly. No, no, she's not the best character. She's the heart of the show. She is the beating engine around which the show would not function without her to be kidnapped every week. That's true. A lot of these episodes wouldn't function if she wasn't there to be kidnapped. I guess the writers are right on that front. So just let her get kidnapped one time, and then the problems of Smallville are solved. It's a pragmatic solution. 
I'm sorry, you have been chosen for this week's Wicker Man, Lana. A recess. But if Lana is the heart of the show, then we must turn instead to the other beating engine of the show. We have a bad, bad man. I heard that he once stole 40 cakes. Oh, that's terrible. So this is our segment where we talk about all the reasons that Lex, the show would like us to know that Lex is wrong. Well, he does basically the same things as everybody else in the show. Sneaking, lying, covering up his personal background and indiscretions. Yeah, it's weird how the show conflict with his father. Yeah, so do you want to get a, let's take a pin out of that uh, that incest joke from er, from earlier. Do we want to just get that out of the way? So bad for these guys. <laughs> for, for Rosenbaum and Glover. Because these two actors have a lot of chemistry. And Glover in particular is basically only allowed on the show in the early seasons when directly interacting with Rosenbaum. So he's like pouring all of his energy into developing the tension there. And Rosenbaum is just one of those actors who has a lot of chemistry with everybody he's interacting with. So there's that. But also you get shit like, fight me for the fate of everyone around you. And if I defeat you with my sword while we're in ridiculous costumes, you must submit to me. There's a lot. And somehow this makes Lex a bad person because he's gambling with people's futures. Well, the context of it is that Lex has worked out a financial plan for the, the plant that would allow them to not lay anybody off, but just run leaner and and deal with waste. But because he, he is willing to take this gamble with his shithead father, I guess it's fine. But when that episode is so fucking weird. Okay, so it's a bad for it's bad for Lex to do that, but it's good and okay for Clark to feel pressured by the football coach to get to to join up on the team and play in the big game where we know he has these violent fantasies of kicking the shit out of the other unpowered players. Yeah. That's fine. That's just normal adolescence. He's using that as a channel for his sexuality mm-hmm. because he imagines that it would give sexual access to Lana specifically. Yep, no that's fine. That's just normal teenage angst. But when Lex is doing a thing to try and safeguard the employment of an entire factory, which is, you know, the factory for the town, basically the thing keeping everybody off meth and from, you know, selling pyramid scheme leggings. That's bad and reckless of him. Well, it's unwholesome. They should all have little storefronts. Oh, I see. Where they sell stuff that comes from no place in particular. I feel like I'm a little bit tainted because you've talked before about this show's double standard towards Lex, but boy, is it evident right from the kick. <laughs> no, because Lex has things about himself that he wants to conceal from others. There's, there's a reporter sniffing around trying to leak his juvenile records or blackmail him to keep things secret. And that makes him a bad person because it's in the public good if they know things he did as a teenager. However, Clark doing things as a teenager right now and like fucking ending motherfuckers no no that secret they have to protect is entitled to keep that secret that's private so the idea of privacy is very gray in this show you'll see later it makes people bad people just for having the audacity to ask basic questions about anything Mm -hmm. if it relates to clark even if they don't know that the thing they're asking is a sensitive thing it's almost like they want to set up this dichotomy of, like, Lex is in a position of power and he's a person with money, so he is held to different standards as a perf- person with privilege, but we never really feel like he actually has power. He's mm-hmm. he's constantly disempowered and placed in a subjugated role with regards to his father and his company and his desire to do works of public good. I mean, I think Rosenbaum, Rosenbaum's the best actor on the show. Um, Which, again, is a character at a much higher level than a lot of the other actors are. So he's he's giving us access to more conflict. So, like, in his performance, it feels weighty that he is threatening to unperson this reporter. But in terms of, like, the way the script is written, there's never, like, a, a viable alternative of, like, an ethical thing he could do beyond just, like, except being blackmailed. I, th- I think the only viable alternative is don't mis- don't have misbehaved in the past. Don't have been bad. Considering the time Clark runs away in the summer and and spends the summer high on crack, that's rich. Mm-hmm. That happens later, but still, like there is a narrative to be told in like these these two parallel tracks that right. they want to set up. Or like the idea that you know it's necessary to take responsibility for one's actions, but I think 
you'll be really interested to see where this dark backstory of Lexus is actually building to. Yeah. And why this is even going on, why there's even something to blackmail him over. Because, like, what are you thinking he's being blackmailed about? I don't know, being a rad party team? Was Lex, did Lex party too hard? I mean, I believe he did party pretty hard. I mean, if we're being realistic, though, what do you think he's being blackmailed over? Hmm. This weren't the CW. Oh, because he's gay. Because he's super gay. Yeah, yeah, no, he is real gay. I'm like, they're not going to say that, and they're never going to say that. But the everything about it. But it would be a shame if this 2000s era billionaire's son were exposed as something that happened with clubs, uh huh, like in the big city. I can't hear the whistling, but my dog is going nuts over there. It could just be all the loud purple that Lex is in. <laughs> I know that purple is the Disney villain color, but like purple and green as a contrast to the primary colors that the heroes wear. It, it's a printing convention from limited palettes and he looks great in it he does and i support him i can't tell if like the show is this bad about it right out the gate or if i am tainted by your love of the bald man but either way i support him i got a comic recently where he's basically the one (laughs) good he is awful he has a terrible man but this is like the softest version of him to the point where it's frustrating. Yeah, he's not, because so many of the comics, right, he's basically Donald Trump. No, um, I mean, for a while in the 80s, he was kind of pushing at that, but he hasn't been that in quite a while. Like, I sort of remember him as a very Xanatos-like figure in the 90s cartoons. Yeah, but... and that's sort of the the angle that a lot of more recent stuff has taken, and it's the one I like best. It's I like best either that version or the version where he's a wacky mad scientist who lives in a swamp. <laughs> okay. Which is great. Fuck you. <laughs> okay. Yes. He wears, he wears a purple onesie with green embellishments and, and drives a power suit. Does he rant about the super friends? I, I have an action figure. Okay, sweetie. I love him. <laughs> I know. Terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. So another segment that I didn't initially plan when we were talking about the show, but as we were watching this episode's demanded to exist, is the boombox, where we don't necessarily have anything to discuss, but I just have to list off the fucking licensed music (laughs) that appears in these episodes. Kudos to this show for actually doing the fucking thing that so many shows didn't. Paying the licenses? Yep. Yeah, that's true. We're watching this on Hulu, like almost 20 years after the fact, and the music is still there. We've probably got listeners, God, who weren't born, but so many things that I've watched in the past can't be rebroadcast or have to be rebroadcast in altered ways or have to make giant renegotiations to continue to exist because of the music, because nobody anticipated that licensing rights would need to be extended to recordings because... If somebody's going to keep it at their home, they're taping it. Why would they pay money? It's the Daria, the Miami Vice, the cold case problem. Mm-hmm. It's weird that there's this whole gap of shows where, you know, they didn't realize yet that that was going to be a problem. But it was right when people started getting really into wanting to rewatch. X-Files obviously isn't to blame for this problem, but I feel like X-Files was kind of, that and Twin Peaks were kind of turning points in people's having access to the technology to rewatch things. Sort of changed how, yeah. And also just existing as shows where people would get the most bang for their buck out of rewatching things. Mm-hmm. So that really ramped up, you know, taping culture. Which then they realized, hey, there's money we can be made from here. We can sell these. Oh, shit, we can't sell these. Oh, fuck. The Altered Miami Vice. I have the Altered Daria. Yeah, and like the Daria one took literally years. It was in the late 2000s that they finally put that DVD out. And I don't have Cold Case because that's one that you can't alter because the music is so intrinsic to the scenes. I don't know. With Smallville, do you think they could, you know, it's pure theoretical, but I don't know. Like with Smallville, it's not nearly so intrinsic. Mm -hmm. I think they thought it was going to be more iconic and relevant than it is. Whereas, you know, with Supernatural, you know, five years later, four years later, a couple years later, they knew already that they wanted a signature music style. 
they knew already that they wanted a signature music style and they really leaned into that in configuring the show in concert with the music and working at the music rights and budgeting for it and planning for it. What, what are you saying? This show definitely has a signature music style. Let me read off the songs in these four, in these three episodes and you tell me. All right. So we have Island in the Sun by Weezer. We have Last Resort by Papa Roach. Wherever You Will Go by The Calling. Renegade Fighter by Zed. Motivation by Sum 41. I'm 15 again. <laughs> Bad Day by Fuel. You by Binocular. It's, it's not the one you're thinking of, y'all. It's the, the other one. one is different. <laughs> Movies by Alien Ant Farm. Yes, they had another song. <laughs> when they released twice to try and make it into a hit. Oh. Well, they got to be on Smallville. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's the one that they released twice on either side of their actual hit. Of their cover. Oh, no. And Wall in Your Heart by Shelby Lynn. Is that or is that not? It was, was for Alana scene. What I'm saying is, this is the most 2000s era soundtrack. It is extremely. A lot of new metal. A lot of, a lot of extremely soft alternative pop. Which, I'll be real, that's my shit. I love upbeat alt-rock. I listened to a Weezer or two. <laughs> you wheezed. I wheezed in my day. Super into Weezer. Like, Island in the Sun is fine, but I was listening more to Fuel and Alien Ant Farm at the time. I have some Sum 41 songs from the Lime Wire of the day. <laughs> Listen, I've never once tried to claim my taste in music is good. It's bad, in fact. So I demand that this be a recurring segment because, my God, there's so many songs per episode. There's a lot going on. It, it's, it's clearly very much trying to be an ideal teen show by by grounding itself with things the teens are into and i think it worked because people were super into it 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 didn't really have a lot you know i mean like dawson's creek had come and gone but like this particular genre style of teen soap was kind of uncharted territory unless you count like the dark shadows reboot in the 90s well this was also dealing with the fact that it was kind of at a dead spot in terms of superhero films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the only thing going on at this point was Blade, which is great, but doesn't feel like a traditional superhero film unless you know what you're looking at. I think Grimdark X-Men had just come out, but that was and that was kind of in the same ethos as Smallville of we're the realistic one where we all wear boring black leather. God. Okay, but they killed him off because he was in a Superman movie. That was fucked up. Tell the people. Yeah, James Marsden, who some of you may know as Corny Collins, is eliminated from the X-Men series from his role as Cyclops, was because he played a side character in Superman Returns. Not even Superman, just a guy way more heroic than Superman. There's so many levels of unfortunate in that statement, I can't begin to unpack it. I hate Superman Returns as I once did. Like, the super baby thing is dumb because they should have brought in his biological son that he has with Lex. But, you know, whatever. Wow, that sounds pretty gay. There's a lot going on there. But, like, I don't hate it as much as I once did. I prefer it and its attempt to carry on the the shiny vibe of the Donner versions a lot more than than the more recent grimdark ones. I was going to say, everything looks better in the cold, dead light of the dead fish that is Batman v Superman and Man of Steel. Because Man of Steel is trying so hard to consciously evoke the vibe of Smallville. Uh Only edgy. Uh Uh-huh. It's really funny. All right, we have gone almost an hour with this. I think it's time to end by looking at those filed-off serial numbers where we talk about just the blatant shit that these episodes are ripping off. Obviously, episode two wants to be the fly. It wants to be the fly so hard that it hurts. The fly plus Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Again, doubly weird that it's <laughs> technically a little bit before the Spider-Man movie. With a touch of Psycho in there, since he mummifies and eats his mom. That's just how bugs do. A lot of dead moms in this, by the way. Yeah, if we kept a dead mom, if I kept a dead mom counter, I feel like it would get real high real quick. Oh yeah, I mean Lex's mom's dead, Mama's mom's dead, Chloe's mom's dead, all the villains' moms are dead. So when are we introducing the giant robots that explain all these dead moms? <laughs> Disney. <laughs> this is a WB show. Uh huh. 
Yeah, that's what I was talking about. CW yet, I don't think. Oh my, you're right. It was. This was on the WB. Oh my god. Are you okay? No. I got a little dizzy with the fear, but the existential dread for a second there. Frog would come into your house and dance near you. Uh huh. Episode three is ripping fewer things off. I feel. I mean, I don't know. I've never watched any of those. Being in football is hard, y'all thing. So I don't know if this is like the, the the one where the Dawson's Creek man cries. Oh, that was related to something. Different. Uh, but episode four is just single white female though. It's just single white female with shape shifting. It really is down to the I pretended to be you to try and fuck your boyfriend, who's not your not your boyfriend. Like just a guy. Because again, this show has yet to convince me that Whitney matters uh, at fucking all. <laughs> Why am I expected to believe that Whitney matters and is a character I should like? Oh, that becomes very relevant after they have to acknowledge that 9-11 happened. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This show makes some decisions. I am deeply fascinated by any long-running show that bridges the gap of pre- and post-9-11, honestly. Especially because all of the shows had a lag. Because the production lag happens. You know, they film... And then it's broadcast, so there's always there was this little delay of several months where everybody's freaking the fuck out and trying to reconfigure what they made. Who are we? And like cultural desires shift like between seasons of a show or whatever, but it was so total and so fast because of the trauma of 9/11. Yeah, with anything similar that happened, you know, after say the Kennedy assassination or something, whether a lot of projects were retooled at the time. Mm. I feel like because there wasn't as much, as many different television series happening, mm-hmm. it was probably much quicker to adapt, but I don't have a whole lot of experience. I think a lot of television was done more live at the time too. It was closer to broadcast cycle. I'm sure you, I, I mean, like I'm sure if we would be able to notice it, but it would have been a lot more in like stage and other live events. Yeah. Which is harder to... It's more nimble. Mm-hmm. That sort of watershed American incident. Yeah. We talked on our Ginger Snaps episode of, of Trash and Treasures about how big a deal Columbine was for a lot of shit. I mean, we recently went to a production of Heathers in like a found space. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting just how it's been reconfigured even since then. Mm-hmm. It was really nice, by the way. They provided trigger warnings and everything. It was a really good experience. That was fun. That was fun. Speaking of flashbacks, which I assume the show will continue to provide me. We don't get much of a look, actually, at Krypton. No, because, like, this show was made for $5. Look at its effects. I'm like, they're trying. But, oh boy. about how bad the effects are? Or just talk about them organically next time. They're bad. They oh, they up. will continue to come up. I feel like they'll just come up. I, I do love the fact that Clark is able to, to pinpoint single white female because that skeleton doesn't look like a Lex skeleton. I know what his bones look like. And also Lana, because he just has a habit of, granted, he's just discovering his x-ray vision powers, but then once once he, you know, learns how to use them, he immediately uses them to to spy on girls in their underwear. Because he's terrible. Because he's a fucking creep. But that's fine. That's just mild shenanigans, not like the bug guy. Or, you know, Lex. Lex trying to literally find out how he survived a car accident that's just nosy and not okay of him not like when chloe wants to find out things about other people do uh do you have any final thoughts on this segment of episodes honestly when we finished up with this i was like i want to watch more smallville this is garbage garbage it's very watchable garbage very watchable garbage a smallville podcast that's not a half bad sign off <laughs> we'll come up with a real one maybe at some point. We're we're still figuring out where this show uh goes in the schedule, whether to, you know, put it in when life happens to our schedule or just as bonus episodes. Uh it may be kind of up and down yeah, in I the next few months. Yeah. Like I don't think we want to put it behind a locked Patreon thing because that seems like a dick move. Yeah, and let, we, we debuted it as a public episode, so we want to keep making it publicly available, although we have considered using this format for certain other shows behind the Patreon. We'll see. Uh, but for now, yeah, um, I, I'm sorry I can't tell you when the next one will be up, but we do like doing these, and we're happy that folks enjoy listening to them. Yeah, and as the one who handles our scheduling, 
the problem with adding in other differentiated things is always that it sort of stretches out and attenuates the rate at which we put out the things that we already put out. So, you know, we put Drunk Book Club into our schedule regularly that reduces the number of movies during the year. We put this in, then, then something else gets shifted. So, yeah. And so we try to, you know, calibrate so that you guys are still getting what you actually want to hear. Mm-hmm. We love feedback, especially, uh, I guess this is as good a time as any to go into the last spiel. Uh, if you liked this, we have two other podcasts, what we do on the same channel. Uh, you can find us by looking up Trash and Treasures on any of your podcatchers. Uh, if you leave us a five-star rating or review, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy in our hearts. Yeah, you can get hold of us on email by uh, emailing trashtreasures at gmail.com because we finally moved into the 21st century. Yay for us. Or you can get hold of us on social media. You know, we're on Tumblr, trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter, which is kind of usually the fastest way to get hold of us, at TrashPod, where folks have been really excited um, about this. And that was honestly really heartwarming. I do kind of want to uh, give a particular shout out to uh, Purple Cyborg Newt on Tumblr, who like just really recently asked if we were getting back on this um i hope this was what worth the waiting since april oh my god it's been since april yeah so i hope this was worth the wait yeah <laughs> and lastly we uh as we alluded we have a patreon that patreon.com slash trash and treasures where you know if you join up you can get dorothy's recipe book from drunk book club and we also have a monthly extra bonus episode which there's two of them now so we're working on building up a nice little backlog um High enough level, there's options to commission episodes. My recipe book has both non-alcoholic and alcoholic versions of all the drinks. So if you don't drink and you just want something nice, that's okay too. We've got you covered. We'll try to figure out and give you some heads up, probably via our Twitter, of when we know the next time we'll have another one of these episodes. But in the meantime... Thanks so much for joining us on this weird experiment as I watch garbage television from Dorothy's past. <laughs> it's been fun. All right. Go Crows? Go Crows!